everybody. We're going to have another Zoom Real Times Trio podcast. And who knows when we will be ever not social distancing. So we have Carl Middleman. Hi there, everybody. And our special guest, Frankie Campolata. Hello. How is everybody doing? Good. Welcome back. How are you? Good. Thanks for inviting me back. Fun show. Yeah, well, thank you for coming on because you have lots of things to talk about. We kick it off with Frankie and I talking about the wretched, and then we talk about becoming Extraction Bull, new on DVD, The Assistant, and the Rhythm Section. Then Lynn and I talk about the Muni, and then we talk about Frankie's graveyard shift, The Lost Boys of Hannibal, and his upcoming Lemp film. So <laughs> let's get to what is out there for people to stream if they have seen everything and they just need something else. So you want to well, start with The Wretched? Yeah, we saw both both of us saw The Wretched. I watched it this morning, and what, you watched it last night? Yeah, I watched it last night. Because it it's, uh, it's, it's better morning. to see it at night. <laughs> well, and, and it's, on, it's on 17, they promoted it, IFC, this is IFC, and IFC said that they're, they have sent it to drive-ins, because dri- some drive-ins are open, and right. I, speaking, uh, Skyview is going to open up this weekend. But this is a great movie to see in a drive-in. It's it's a horror film, and it is first of all, it's in the modern day. So yes, they have cell phones because you know a lot of horror films, a lot of horror films could just be ended with one quick phone call, but not <laughs> not in this, not in this world. Because, well, Frankie, what did you think of it? I mean, I don't know how in-depth you guys want to get with the film. No, um, without, without spoiling it, you, we can give the plot. Yeah. Um, I, I felt that it was advantageous. I felt that they really tried to uh, create something. But at the same time, in my mindset, I, I look at these two directors and they did Deadheads and a couple yeah. of them worked on other um, Hollywood films, not as directors, but as, you know, um, hands and, and, and studio people so they understand film they get it uh the film overall shot really nice i mean it, from a synopsis view what i would say is that they tried to do too much in too little time and they really never got to explaining creature feature so that was i mean if you see the the trailer you know it's a creature feature so well the it, thing is it kind of creature kind of witch kind right. of and i also heard someone describe it as uh Hitchcock rear window meets invasion of the body snatchers. And I said, oh. eh, that's kind of, yeah. Well, first, first of all, there's an opening, there's a cold open, which yeah. makes no sense and has Zero nothing sense. to do with the rest of the movie. It, it establishes kind of something, but then not really at all. It's, it doesn't make any sense. They could have started with him asleep on the bus and that would have been fine. Uh, it is a, it's it's a coming of age summer movie and barely any of the 16 or 17 year olds drive except the rich kids in town they get to drive and they're jerks and there's one really cute girl that you think something's going to happen and then uh, I, I i will say that some of the twists in this movie were unexpected and that somebody compared this movie to uh m night Shyamalan's the happening yeah for some for some of those reasons and it's 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 not it's not because of the twist it's like that it's because of the the creatures that we were talking about yeah i mean the, the happening for me i mean what the most the beautiful and we're not going to spoil it but the the i think the beautiful 
aspect of the cinematography in one scene, one, one. So there were influences of Hitchcock. There were Orson Welles reveals. There were, there was a lot of, like I said, they were doing too much. I mean, stick to one director. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause you were all over the place. The cold opening makes absolutely no sense. There's, there's no police reports. There's no history. There's no folklore. And you had all these characters. You had all this cast. And instead, you choose to do Karate Kid. And I, I don't understand that at all when they could have been around the campfire or something like that talking about like what this thing was, like develop the whole story. You had some great exceptional acting and you had really poor acting. So you had these kids. The kids for me were the best. Oh, actors. they were great. Yeah. Those kids. Uh, it, and Lynn and I have talked about this before. A bad child actor can tank a movie, yeah. but in this one, what, what was the one with the kids with the fake grandparents? Oh, uh, um, the the visit. visit. The visit. Those kids were great in that movie. And, yeah. the, oh, they were. And, and the little kids in this movie are great. Uh, John Paul Howard, he, he's the lead. He was the son in Hell or High Water. He was Chris Pine's son oh. in Hell or High Water. And uh, the girl Piper Curta, she was a she was in Teen Beach movie too, so yeah. she's a she's a Disney kid. And she, but the weird thing is, she's going to be in American Pie presents some sex comedy coming up next summer. So that that was too too. I mean, Carl, I, I was a little off, but I was with my friend who is one of the one of somebody on my team that I absolutely trust with writing and scripts and creativity. She's one of the most creative people I've ever worked with. And she was very uncomfortable in some of those scenes, like the skinny dipping scene. And it was just a very, very strange scene. You have 17 and 16 year olds in a pool. Drinking I, alcohol. Drinking alcohol. There was just really, there was really poor taste and judgment in some of the film where they could have elaborated on what they were trying to do. So once again, it comes back to, I, I wonder how big that script was. It looks like it's probably like 130 pages and they probably cut 30 pages. It just felt like they tried to start the cold openings or they tried to do something really cool. You're establishing history, you're establishing lore, never get back to it. And then you have this <laughs> other super that comes up in the beginning of the film that says five days ago. What? Like what, what happened? I don't, you said 34 years ago. Now you're saying five days ago. Like right. what? It starts, it starts in 85. And then it goes back to present day and then it goes back five because I went back to the beginning to find out what the five day. It's the shot of him getting drowned in the lake. And it's, uh, that's where they should have opened the film. Right. When, yeah. And then five days ago, not, not in 1985 because I know nothing that happens in 1985 that would have made a cool urban legend. And what I said earlier about this, um, without giving anything away there is digital records of everybody online or facebook these kids would not be disappeared out of people's minds because witches can't control the internet exactly that's, <laughs> that's that's the other thing too it's just like it's it's a uh, it's hokey in some sense of it like the lore and and but that one cinematic scene where he starts to realize like oh my god that was great it was very sixth yes. sense it and was that's, very... that's a great twist yeah, and that, like I said, the 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 brothers, the, the what is it, the Pierce brothers? Yes. You know, you can see that they're new to this. Is I think their their second second, second feature, right? From so Deadheads. it was Deadheads, and then Brett and Drew Pierce, and they want to be like the Duffer brothers. So Brett yeah. and Drew are now the Pierce brothers. I I will give them credit. They don't go CGI. They do all practical effects, and yep. I enjoy that. And that was really well done. 
the sound editing was incredible. Yes. Um, they All had the cracking of the neck yep. every time. Ugh. Yep. Yeah. They had some great sound editing. So, so there are like, if anybody's like, you know, when people are listening to this, definitely give it a watch, give it a, anytime. I all support any indie filmmaker because what they, what they were able to accomplish, like their shots were great. Their, their editing was okay. It wasn't the greatest editing, but it, it was there and it kept you intrigued. And, but the thing is why you stayed tuned in my opinion is because you kept wanting it to get better. And it just, mm -hmm. it just falls short. It just falls. It, it, it has this grandiose, like, oh man, this is going to be cool. Like you have this really cool symbol, like this witch symbol that looks kind of like a deer. And it's like, you're, you're seeing it like carved into things, but then yeah, the way that this thing comes out, it's just like, really? I'm like, what? I, I did not, I did not mind the ending though, but yeah. because it's, it's cute and, and it's, I, I know they're probably trying to get a franchise on this, but I mean, they've made two movies in nine years. So, well, they're probably self-funded. I mean, okay, it's I you know, it is, and 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 like at the end of the day, like their movies are hitting like five out of ten stars on both of them. Like this one, for some reason, got eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So I don't know. Maybe it's because they had like a crew of four hundred thousand people <laughs> that that all rated really well. But I yeah. just I don't see this as an eighty percent Rotten Tomatoes film. I mean, you're competing with Conjuring at that point. It's like well, also you never you never know where it is. I mean, and there's also the yes. whole divorce aspect of everything, and it's just. There are a lot of things going on in this movie. And it's only a, what, hour and 40 minutes? There's a lot of plot holes. Um, and I think even bigger than that is like, if they're going to do a sequel, they need to do a prequel. They need to explain what this thing is, what the creature is. And I think what that's the only way 85? you can... Exactly. It's the only way you can salvage the, the franchise, in my opinion, um, if they're but wanting they, to do you, it. If you look at the Annabelle stuff, they didn't do... The best movie of the Annabelle is, uh, you could say... The, the Annabelle, stupid. Coming home. The first one is stupid. Coming home yeah. and creation are much better than the first yes. Annabelle film. Yes. And so all the stuff that takes place before it is a lot better. And I give, I give uh, the Conjuring people credit for that. And I, I want to say that my favorite of the Conjuring films, and I've seen them all, is Conjuring 2. Conjuring yeah. 2 Same. is the best. Same. Because, because it's based on a real story. Right. And, and Lily Taylor and the clap clap. That's the only thing people remember about the first one, which yeah. is the best moment of the film. But you know about horror films. Yeah. Um, you're writing one. Yeah. And so yeah. do you give them credit for the process or do you just say what happened here? Well, you probably can experience what they did and what, and the creative process between script filming and release. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I think that I think one of two things occurred. Um, the acting is pretty poor in the beginning. The father son relationship is a disconnect. The mm -hmm. next door neighbor's relationship, the, the, the woman's too old. It doesn't match. The guy doesn't ever seem like a caring father. Uh, it's he's, just a very, I, he's Kevin Bigley. And I know I've seen him somewhere. He's got one of those faces yeah. that like I've seen he, and like he was on USA Network's uh, Sirens. And I'm like, right. I, I've never watched that. So yeah, he, I, mean, I, I want to find him somewhere, but I, he's just got that face. And yeah. then I think he's really, I think he's really good once he gets uh, witchified. Yeah. I mean, it, it starts to come alive for me from, from the script perspective. 
what I would say is, and you know what, like I said, I give, I give kudos to people that can finish a film and edit it and get it processed like that. It's, it's really well done. It, it, clearly it's IFC level, you know, five-star level is where they want to be at a 10. The, the thing is, is, you know, people are going to bum rush the film just because it's scary horror. Horror will get views re- regardless of how good it is or how bad it is. This uh, would the thing, January release probably. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that it would have bombed um, as far as like, because here's the thing, you're, you're dealing with people like Juan, right? James Juan, who understands horror and understands mm-hmm. how to direct horror. M. Night Shyamalan understands how to direct horror. He doesn't necessarily know how to close his films. That's his biggest weakness. When you see The Wretched and you try to compare that, it seems to me like you have two people, you have two directors, which I do not like. I, I, the Duffer Brothers failed with um, Winchester, right? That was, a, that, was a, that was an entire, uh, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a dumpster fire in my opinion because Winchester House doesn't need a story. No. The lady built rooms for spirits, like 117 <laughs> of them. Why are you right. making up something? When you look at the, 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 I guess the Pierce brothers here that are trying to do that, you have two directors and it felt like two people were directing the film the whole time because one wanted to go in the direction of, I want to do this. And the other one wanted to go in the direction of like teenage bopper love. Like nobody cares about at that point. There's no reason to establish a bully that you have no conflict resolved with. None. Right. There's, there's None. no conflict resolved there. Like, and you, you think that Sarah would have said, um, one of the women in this, she, w- she witnessed their fight. And then you, well, thinking of it now, it makes more sense. But it, at, while watching it, it didn't make sense. You think that she would have defended him. Exactly. And then like the whole gluten-free bread thing, pointless. Her telling everybody that she's a vegetarian, pointless. There's, there's all these well, things. It does, it does bring up a reveal later. Right. Right. But, you know, the reason why you get to that is because you have to have dialogue with the store clerk. That's right. why he's, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's, that's the payoff there. And then later she's a vegetarian <laughs> and it's like, oh, cause she's, and it's just, for me, it crescendos into like, you know, what happened to the original mother? Well, clearly, you know, this thing like, you know, did this. And then it's just, there's so many, there's so many flaws in the film from a, cause anybody that's watching it and loves horror. And like you said, watch the conjuring Two, which is the best of the franchise. Uh, you know, when you get into like the nun, nuns, the scariest film probably ever done in my opinion, that film is just scary. I don't nuns know if it, creepy. <laughs> it, it's yeah, exactly. But it's not, it's not a good film. It's a weird no. plot line, but it's scary. And this film failed to do both. It, it had a couple jump scares. It wasn't overly scary. I was never, scared that something was going to happen there was never a good reveal there wasn't a good jump scare there wasn't a cross scare there wasn't you know if you're going to do something with i mean damn in the beginning when that thing's sitting on the porch on the Uh banister that was great man or with the baby yes when when she opens her eyes any cam the nanny cam right and but it's just it would be it would have been rated r it's mostly bloodless horror but there's yeah. a scene of smoking in there so it's it's got to be this could have been a pg-13 if they would have taken out that cigarette scene right and that isn't that strange because you can have like the 16 year olds that are naked in a pool but you can't have smoking like all right i'm, I'm over this you know <laughs> well so, i don't even know what the rating is because it's ifc so you never you never know yeah i mean ideally i mean like you know i i respect the hell out of them for putting this together and getting that kind of crew. Like this is over a hundred thousand dollar film. I mean, this it was shot spent, really well. It was, it was shot. And some of the cinematography is beautiful. Um, and some of it, some of the camera works bad, but the cinematography is good. 
some of the camera work could have been better. Uh, the focusing was weird. Like, why am I focused on him in bed when she's getting up to leave? Like, what, what's what's going on? Well, because they didn't want to have any nudity, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, even though she was wearing a black shirt, but, you know, it's just stuff like that. I think it was, um, I just feel like the script was a disconnect. I, I, I can almost guarantee you they did not shoot with storyboards. Um, and that's why your editing is kind of lacking in some areas. They, they really didn't know where to cut to. Uh, and, you know, when you look at purist films, like Roman Polanski's, like, uh, Rosemary Baby, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you see that film, the buildup is incredible. The character development is incredible. And this is about witches. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like that, you don't take inspiration from Alfred Hitchcock, who never did a witch film. You don't no. take inspiration from Orson Welles, who never did a witch film, right? You, you take you take inspiration from Polanski who did it and did it so well, like that book she finds and she reads it and like, and you're just building up all into this crazy thing with this little hand. And you know, that's the, that's, that's the genius of, of writing and directing. And I think when you have too many things and you're trying to do too many things in a horror film, it just, you have this result. And I think if they scaled back, if they got rid of the bully scene, if they got rid of the karate kid stuff, you know, the love interest doesn't need to be there because it's a summer gig. Um, there's a bunch of different things that I think that they could have slimmed up the the script in the film, and I think it could have been a lot better. Uh, it could have been a great. Uh, it could have been a great little horror film at at uh, 90 minutes or 85 right. even. Yeah, it falls flat. But it, I but while watching it, before thinking of it and dissecting it, while watching it, I did enjoy it, and I appreciated I yeah. especially the effects, especially yeah. because it's because they didn't wimp out in CGI. Right. No, it's an enjoy. It's definitely an enjoyable film. It, it's it's something that I would recommend anybody see because once again, it's in the horror genre. So, you know, we're not you're not ever going for Academy Awards in those areas. So, <laughs> I visual effects. I think they could do well. Yeah. But th- this is a mo- sound this is a design. Movie. Well, also, uh, who knows what they're going to do this year? So this there's only a handful of films so far, right, Lynn? Yeah. Well, yeah, but they're going to allow streaming movies. But they have had. They the one catches they have to have been scheduled for a theatrical release. Well, this was out in this was out in cinema. Uh, well, technically oh, yes, drive in. Yeah, yeah, that counts. Because, um, this is the IFC Midnight series. So this is when you see Midnight series, you know it's cult. So of course it would lend itself to drive-ins. But I I think you could if you saw this and if but see that's the thing Skyview's not gonna be able to show something like this. No, they I, go for I would family love it. fair. They go right. for family fair. But uh, I Slaughterfest seen... is awesome. Though. You guys go to <laughs> Slaughterfest? Slaughterfest oh, is amazing. It's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I they, go over uh, here. Yeah, they have... Um, they end the season with horror movies. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, ne- I'm never allowed thing. to do those because hockey season has begun usually by then, and so my Fridays and Saturdays are tapped. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. the... Um, IFC is doing a thing when the theaters do open, they're going to have these retro packages of their greatest hits, basically, available Good. to the theaters. Because, you know, uh, fresh content is going to take a little while because the first run are not scheduled till July. Well, yeah. And who's going to go to theaters? Are, do, will any of you guys go to a movie theater? Well, it depends on what's showing and if I want to no, show support. You're not going to go. Well, I might want to show support. We've put we've put my documentary off. Actually, like it's been put off so long that we've decided to take it back to the editing room and make it longer and re-edit the whole film. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, hey, yeah. It's time. given us, it given us an opportunity to kind of like, you know, look at our own work and be like, and one of the reasons why uh, Lily is in town too, uh, Lily McLeod, she's one of our, she's in and off. She's like, kind of like she does other stuff. And then every time and every now and then she chimes in and, and does some work with us as well. So she's kind of like an independent consultant, but she's still part of the shift flag. And she's watching it today and the director's watching it today and a couple other people that I've selected to watch it to just really get like, all right, what do we need to change? How do we make this better? How do we make this great? My distributing guy said, it's good. It's not great. And he wants it to be on Netflix because now is the opportunity to hit Netflix hard. If you Mm -hmm. look at the ghost who walks, which was a St. Louis film that's on Netflix, St. Louis director. Uh, It's a pretty, pretty decent film. Uh, Maybe we can do that. Like maybe you guys can do that another episode, but He's a, he's a great guy. I mean, I read a whole article on him in St. Louis magazine and I was so impressed with him and, and his film and, and doing, you know, just seeing St. Louis in a film is so cool because St. Louis has so many different like neighborhoods where you could do a, a city film, you can do a, a suburban film, you can do a county film, you can do a country film all in the same state. Like it is such a cool, Missouri is such a great place for all of that. Like, you know, if you want an all encompassing ground to shoot. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, go on a tangent here, but I think that now is the time to edit your films. Now is the time to polish your films. Uh, my premiere is put off till October 23rd. And I don't wow. even know if that's going to happen. I talked to Harmon. Harmon closed, uh, you know, the, the, the moolah. The moolah. I, was, I mean, I was, I was in tears almost because like, who doesn't love wanted, the moolah? I like, was in a, I was in a movie that premiered at the moolah and it was great. Yeah. Well, yeah. when, it, when it first arrived, I went there a lot because it was the only place that was doing what it was doing. And yeah, then now it's, they're not <laughs> the only ones, but having a single screen is tough. It is. Yeah, because it if, is. if you get you a know, film like The Wretched, <laughs> right. you know, you're but, like, you're, but you bomb. The college kids are gone. The college kids are gone. Yep. So therefore, who's going who's gonna to travel down to Midtown to go necessarily see a movie? Truth. Right. And then getting back to the ghost who walks, uh, I was on the jury for the St. Louis uh, Filmmakers Showcase and we awarded that our top prize. And we gave some other awards out for the film. Cause people, it's so funny cause it's on Netflix now and people go, hey, have you seen this by a St. Louis guy? And I go, St. Louis Filmmakers Showcase, it yeah. had its debut and I was on the jury and we gave it a bunch of prizes. So it's funny how Netflix gets you know more seen but last month they had 16 million new subscribers yeah they need content and now is the time to to look at the lemp film and be like this film has that potential to be on netflix and i'm not saying that the edit that we had that we were going to premiere was bad by any sense it's it's good it's just you know it's 60 minutes i'm like we can go to 90 it's such a cool intriguing story like why are we leaving out some of these characters why are we leaving out some of these scenes let's put them in there we have so much time now to kind of look at it we have our first edit and you know honestly like it was it was kind of tough to meet that deadline but the whole point of my date was to do it 100 years later and that's gone right so you know i have i have the people that are the the people that have bought tickets i mean it's five sold out shows you know they're loyal no one has asked for a refund (laughs) i think it's a good topic i think it's a good topic so but also it's still the 100th anniversary it's it is it's still and you can, I mean, you can, that could be a tagline in it. Uh, the, on the hundredth anniversary, then the world stopped. And then once we pick up, we're back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it, it is. Yeah. And, you know, if, as long as we release it in 2020, we're fine. 
Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Love Story, as you know, uh, celebrates its 50th anniversary yes. in December. But You're they still had their in love with Love Story. <laughs> Great film. <laughs> it's just culturally significant to my uh, my uh, generation. Anyway, uh, they had their Fathom event in early February. And so it, it doesn't turn 50 till December. So there you go. They yeah. were just cashing in early, but the book did come out Valentine's Day. But getting back to Netflix, on Wednesday, May 6th, the premiere of Michelle Obama's documentary, Becoming, which yeah. is based on her best-selling book, which was the number one bestseller in 2018 and didn't come out until November. Right. Yeah. But it's also it's also a documentary of her book tour, too. So it's not necessarily... It's not necessarily becoming on film. It's her. It's going to be a mix of the the book and her book tour, where she, uh, you know, hung out and read excerpts from the book. She's fascinating. I love Michelle Obama. Uh, great, I, I great w- arms. <laughs> yeah, she's she's just great overall. I mean, I think she was one of the most. I think she's the most memorable aside from Jackie O. I think she's the most uh, memorable first lady. I think she had a class all on her own. Although I wasn't the biggest fan of Barack, I, I think that that was a power couple. And I think that that is what this country needs more than anything. And I can say that as a person that kind of stands in the, in the aisle. Right. Um, that, that's the kind of leadership we need. It wasn't about, you know, everything that we're doing with when, when I heard that her documentary was coming out, I'm like, yeah, and they've asked her to run. And, and, if she, and they did a poll because I work in Homeland Security as well. So they did a poll recently on Michelle Obama running and, and she would take the office pretty quick. Uh, so I wonder if Biden is out there fishing for her to be a vice president. I don't think she'd do it. But if she did, yeah. you know, I think that he, they'd have a really good chance of, uh, you know, of because uh, his running mates everything. But I don't want to go political, but political with it. But Michelle Obama, I think, is a. She's oh, yeah. a hero. I mean, in a lot of respects, I mean, here's a strong black woman that, you know, has succumbed to a lot and done so much. And she just, you know, she needs that credit. I, I was really happy for her to see that that documentary was being highlighted. And, and it's a good time to show that, right? It's a good time for people. I mean, it's, it's, it's a perfect time to release something like that with, you know, the vote in November. Uh, you know, it, 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 it tells people like, hey, like, there's another avenue here. There's another thought process here and i think that that's in, that's important so i think it is very good timing to to release it in may 6 when we when we're looking at everything ahead so you know that's what i would say to that i don't know too much about the book um i just know that i'm, I'm excited about that documentary as well i think it's it's a perfect timing really and then there's a couple other things that debut on uh friday as well but uh, uh, this week, but I do agree with that, uh, you know, all she did for the school lunches and physical fitness and, yeah. and, and her, her uh, priorities and also those daughters of hers. It's yeah. in contrast, her speeches are in contrast with the uh, plagiarizing exactly. of the current yeah. situation. So um, I saw a movie this week on Netflix um, and everybody's talking about it because it was the fresh content yep. on Netflix this week. And it is by the Avengers team. Uh, <laughs> yep. and Joe Russo wrote it. And, and it's the stunt coordinator, first unit director, or sec, second unit director, whatever they call those stunt, the action scenes. Uh, 
Sam Hargrave. He directed it. It's called Extraction, and it stars Chris Hemsworth. And he's not playing a superhero, but he is playing a superhuman. Yeah, he's a mercenary. Yes, so he's a black ops mercenary. It is pretty standard, I will say this for the script, but the action scenes are fairly spectacular. They have an 11-minute chase scene. Yeah. Oh, it's an, oh, okay. I loved, I loved, these guys know how to do action films. I mean, some yeah. of the coordination too, like the up, the up close gunfire when they're fighting is just like something that everybody always thought about. Like, why don't you just pull your gun out and just shoot the guy instead of fight this guy? <laughs> and they did that. Like they mastered that. And these chase scenes, like through the buildings were crazy, man. Like it was so intense, intense. I, I really enjoyed for an action film, I love Chris Helmworth on film. I, I'm so in love with him. I think he's got, like, the best face. He is very, very believable in this role. Uh, Hopper's in it. Um, he makes a little cameo in it from uh, Hellboy and, um, what is it, uh, Stranger Things? David Thing? Harbour. David, David, David Harbour. Harbour. I was all of, a sudden, all of a sudden in the midway through the movie, he's there, and you're like, what? And he has an incredible scene, man. He like, does. Really it's really scene. good. It's um, really good, which I, we can't spoil for you, Carl. But yeah. I will say uh, it, it captivates you. It's a very adrenaline rush. And yeah. so you're swept up in it. And then when you think about it later, you're like, well, the story. But here's the story. <laughs> the story is two drug lords at war. Oh, okay. Oh, and here then we it's, go. <laughs> yeah, it's the head of the Bangladesh drug cartel and it's the head of the indian drug cartel who is in prison and his son is kidnapped by the the more evil bangladesh guy and <laughs> the and, bad guy and the other bad guy right and um though you realize uh this guy is bad because he tosses he has one of his henchmen toss a kid off a high story building Yes, that's so, what I, that, that's the one of the few things I've heard about this movie. I heard it's extremely violent. It is very violent. Oh my god. Yeah. John Wick Blood violent? Drenched. Pardon? Okay. John Blood Wick violent? I would say close because it's very blood-drenched and it's close up. And well, in, in, as this genre goes, you can't tell who's who sometimes, and you don't know the double crosses and, and who's on whose side. Uh, yeah. the, the, the drug cartel's guy that was supposed to be protecting the kid, the, the dad, Ovi Sr., says, if you don't get my son back, I'm going to kill your family. So oh. he is going after the kid at the same time Chris Hemsworth is going after the kid. So you don't know really, is this a good guy or is this a bad guy or what, what's going on? And then through the street, we're in Dhaka City. It starts in Mumbai. It's really like load trotting, shoot him up type stuff because you're in Australia. And then here's the Chris Hemsworth character. He has a tortured past. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so he gets to well, use his Australian accent. Then. Well, well, you're a mercenary. What kind of past do you were you supposed to have? You know, exactly. it's not a happy life there. It's like, I don't think you went to Disney as a kid. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And then, and then he gets it. Um, the 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 boy. He does get the boy. He's on the run with the boy, and the boy gets attached to him. 
because the boy lives a very lonely existence in this beautiful house. And then, of course, he's going to violate his curfew and go out with his friends to a nightclub because he's 15 and he's sure. by himself. And that's when, you know, the crap hits the fan. So it's it's very fast paced. And, and we have women in it, too, who are there are women and yeah. pass the Betchel test. <laughs> yeah, actually, it does. Because they're not talking about a man. No. Well, she's the only woman. I, she's like, yeah. She's beautiful oh. and powerful, yeah. and she's a sniper, and I wish they would have put more of her in it, honestly. And not just be because of her appeal to the screen, but just because she was a very cool, strong character where she showed all signs of not only powerful female in a mercenary role, but also just like this, there's a, there's a care factor there where she has to make really tough decisions toward the end of the film, and there, there's just... Like I said, the the acting's great. I mean, I love the um, the Indian get mercenary, the, the guy you were talking about, where he oh, he was he's just he's ba. I mean, he's he's he was like one of my in the beginning. I'm like, man, this guy's because usually when you look at Bangladesh and you look at India and Mumbai, like these people are so loving and so kind, and every everybody that I've had interactions with in, in development, software development. And they come from these areas. They're such peaceful, loving, awesome, great humor, spirited individuals. And the hardest sell in the film is seeing them in this gangster role. And it's just like, I don't know if this is really believable, you know? <laughs> um, but then they throw a kid off a roof and it was like, all right, well, I guess. I guess they're bad. <laughs> yeah. And then you have the yin and the yang because there's this other kid who's, you know, they're so poor. They, yeah. they will take whatever... Uh, feelings they have you know and the drug lords are so rich that of course that's where the uh, allegiances lie and uh the but the guy that was the guardian he has to reset his own nose <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah that's a little like and and they're so they're, Plus, it's grimy because it's India, and they're and it's hot, and so they're grimy and bloody, and it's little. If you're squeamish, this is not the movie for you because it gets in your face. But I will say the people in it are good, and whatever the story lacks, I think they make up with it's worth watching. Like you get caught, you get swept away with like, what's going to happen to these people? Yeah, I, I think that to add to that, I think the other thing too is that the film is not predictable. The ending is not predictable at all. No, and it's um, ambiguous. It's ambiguous. It and I uh, think that's one of my favorite parts. <laughs> yeah. Because that yeah. last scene, right? I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it, yeah we can't we can't spoil it. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely worth a watch. And if you're if you're a John Wick fan, if you're uh, you know, if you're a Commando fan, if you're an 80s, like, action star fan, this is the new stuff. And I think Chris Helmers really plays that. But I love him in other roles, too. I think he can play tender. I think he can – he was great in that race car movie, too. Like, I loved him in that. Like, he, well, Oh, a, Rush? Rush? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. Because I was thinking, what else? Because I love his comedy. Like, he was the best thing about the Vacation remake. He was he was yes. hilarious yeah. as he was, Ghostbusters he was a, secretary. Ghostbusters, he was the best part of Ghostbusters. <laughs> he was <laughs> such an idiot. Like, the fact that he can play that, we haven't yeah. seen him in a romantic part yeah. really. Um, wasn't he in so, that Rebel Wilson romantic comedy? Oh, that's his brother Liam. Oh, whatever. Yeah. And then there's Red <laughs> Dawn. I think you know. 
Ah, I think so. Yeah, I think we'll see more of this. And for a first effort, the the guy, but he does. I mean, they really have, like Frank's Frankie said, they really have that action thing down pat. Yeah, it's just you're not going to compete in that area. You're just not. They yeah. got. They have it. They just. It's. It's patented. It's like you're gonna get fun stuff. You see Russo on something. It's like this is gonna be a fun movie. Um, you know. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I was shocked with the pedigree and how much of the Avengers people were involved in yeah. it. But it was like when I did my KTRS review this week, Ray is like, "Can't you get a comedy?" And I'm saying, "There's none being made right now. We're all getting this depressing stuff." Yeah. Yeah, it's. Well, uh, I mean, because nobody predicted this. Like, well, we need some comedy. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld's coming out on Netflix with his uh, Twenty Three Hours to Kill, but that's that's a stand-up special. There's a lot of stand-up going on, and then uh, Thomas Middleditch and uh, Ben Schwartz have the uh, improv show on Netflix. So there, there is comedy out there. It's just not uh, movie movie comedy. It, right. Afterlife is incredible. If you haven't ah, seen Ricky Gervais, if you haven't seen Afterlife, oh, I have not. First two seasons are hilarious. They're they're Gervais uh, purity, 100% pure Gervais. I mean, he's writing, he's directing it. It's tender, it's beautiful. It has emotional mixes. Uh, it, it's just a it's just so well done. I mean, me and my friend last night just like crashed watch both seasons because it's English, so it's right. The seasons are, are shorter and. They, and that's why I think some of their stuff is so good because they're not forced to do 26 episodes. Like, you know, they do enough episodes to really develop the story. But keeping on that, the, the, Marvel, um, the Marvel path there, do you, did you guys see, did you guys read about um, Chadwick Boseman? No. So Chadwick Boseman is negotiating and his, his contract to do Black Panther and the money's not right. And so he might walk. And I love him as an actor, mm-hmm. regardless in any role, here's a guy that can play a superhero, but can also, he can transpire into any other role. He's a very powerful person on screen and he's definitely a leading man. Like he can lead a film. I would watch yeah. a film if he's a leader in it and what? he could do that. And so the money wasn't right. And so there's a big debate now between Bozeman and I guess Disney studios about his money. He wants more money and he should, he should get it. He's Probably. the franchise. You know, you know, you. I've seen that one time in Marvel films, right? With uh, Terrence Howard, they replaced Terrence Howard, and he wasn't even a big yes. role. So, no, oh, but he does. He does have that great line where he, he's looking at War Machine, and he says, "Next time," and then it's next time is Don Cheadle. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, hey, in Bewitched, they replaced husbands. That's right. So he was a witch. <laughs> Why yeah. not? Well, there's two other movies that came out that I did not click to get the link to. Mm-hmm. One's called Bull. Yeah. And the guy that was in Just Mercy as the executed prisoner. That's his movie. Did anybody see that? I did I not. I did not. But it's weird because the there's a television. I don't know why you would name something that is a current television series on Unfortunately, it's based on the life of Dr. Phil, but Bull is, has been on CBS for several years now. Why would you put, release a movie that people are just going to get confused and, and, and you can't go to a theater anyway, so you're going to have to watch it on TV and you're like, oh, Bull, 
oh wait, this is the this is the this is not the Dr. Phil story. The the CBS show is about Dr. Phil when he was uh he was a jury consultant. So the TV show bull is about a jury consultant who picks the right jury so that they can win cases. The movie bull is not about that at all. And yeah. so why would you confuse people that way? It's bad marketing. It's terrible, terrible marketing. I mean, you see that a lot. Uh, you know, lately it just seems like you're, and bull is not really like you had bullet. So you're going to get a Stallone film. And, you know, it's right. like, <laughs> which is terrible. Um, but the whiskey's great. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think that there is a buzz around like, you know, shift films, the way we name our films, right? They're usually one word, cringe, mm -hmm. pool door. It's, it's easy to, um, to do that, to decipher. Even our documentaries, The Agitator, Lump's Last Right. Like, you know, you make it intriguing enough, but you also want to make it kind of spontaneous. So it's like, well, anytime you put Lemp in, you're going to get all that feedback, which is good for us. And a thing mm -hmm. like Bull, you're going to get lost in the sauce. I mean, Bull can represent so many different things that – it's, it's, it's just bad marketing in my opinion. I don't know too much about the film. I'm not a big Dr. Phil fan. I think he's kind of a- no, 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 Dr. Phil is the TV show. This is about actually bull writing. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. See, I'm confused. Well, another great, <laughs> another great movie with bull in the title is Bullhead, which is the first yeah. time I saw Matthias uh, Shane Arts or however you say his name. I got to learn how to pronounce his name. And it was the <laughs> a film from Belgium and it was a nominee for best foreign film several years ago. And it's fantastic. It's about a uh, dude on too many steroids. <laughs> <laughs> that works well, in agriculture but it's it's really bringing this all back to everything that we've been talking about uh bull stars rob morgan who is a who is turk from daredevil and jessica jones and luke cage so it, it's it's about an african-american bull rider who also is an actor in the marvel cinematic universe well that's interesting they have nothing to do with each other but it, so, it won it, it came out a year ago at con so I guess it's just coming out now. Yeah, well, the Cannes Film Festival has been pushed back to late June, but we'll see if that's going to happen. But that's when everybody's movies were going to premiere, Wes Anderson's French Dispatch, and mm -hmm. uh, oh, who's the dude, the Soho, oh, Edgar Wright, who we like, and he likes us. Yeah. Um, the, the Last Night in Soho, right? Yes, then, oh, I've uh, been waiting for that. Yeah, and they pushed it's back. It's got David Top, Tennant in it. They they pushed back uh, Top Gun Maverick till Christmas, I think. That'll so, be great. So this would right now we would be well. Kentucky Derby would have been yesterday. We would mm -hmm. Con would be coming up a year ago. Once upon a time in Hollywood was the big news at Con. Wow. So. Uh, one of our favorites, Tom Hardy, is going to play Capone, and that comes out video on demand May 12th, but I have I'm heard nothing. I'm most excited, most excited about that film. I know. I love Tom Hardy. So, and he yeah. hasn't been around. Well, he's shooting that Venom, too, but I'm not going to talk about that. But they need to redeem that series. They, they have, he has not, for a while there, he was in everything, and yeah. he was churning them out. And with, his, with his face covered every single time. Yes, legend. And so Capone. And Mad Max and uh, Dark Knight. So, and even the, the horrible movie that I really hate and everybody likes, 
Dunkirk. He's got his face is covered in all of those movies. It's really funny. So why would like, you have a pretty like, man? Yeah, that's like a Tom Cruise running scene. <laughs> exactly. It's like it Tom Cruise has to run in every film. Um, as he's yeah, getting- I saw a meme about Bane being with the mask and the whole thing with the pandemic. You know, comparing uh, that Bane was right all along. Wear a mask. Yeah, don't know about that, but uh, that should be interesting. What else is going to be coming out? Do we know? I mean, Robert De Niro was the last to play Capone, really. I mean, in a real role, so. Yeah, the uh, tonight Raiders of the Lost Ark is going to be the first CBS night at the movie, Sunday night at the movies. When I was a kid, this was the only way you could see movies on TV, big, big, movies they would have the sunday night movies Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden we got vcrs and all that stuff so that changed and uh they're gonna have four movies every sunday which is weird yeah i like the way people are kind of taking this to a different you know they're thinking about ways that they can entertain people who are stuck at home why would you have the first and the third Indiana Jones movie, why wouldn't you run the second one in there? The second one is a different rating. Well, uh, PG, PG. Well, no, it was PG. That's one of the reasons they made PG 13. Right. But, I think it's, I think it's based on that, right? I mean, that's the bloodiest one there is. Well, it's because they rip out the guy's heart and they show it to him and then they're eating monkey brains too. And yeah. Animal cruelty, like, you know, what, Clearly, what I was just reading about Bull, <laughs> that's the biggest review on that is, is the misuse of, you know, all the rodeo guys are really wrong about animal misuse and animal cruelty. And so that's basically the buzz around Bull. Mm-hmm. A, lot of bad, a lot of bad reviews on that film. Uh, <laughs> 40 minutes of, 90 minutes of filler. Like that was a great comment. <laughs> 15 minutes of content. I was like, wow. That's- I know people are are hard up for content, but I have no patience for things that are not engaging me or have a depressing vibe. And and I just gotta I gotta move on, move yep. on. Pacing pacing in a film is important. Yes. Well, uh, out on DVD right now is uh, one of my favorite indie movies of the year. Very underrated is The Assistant, with I just blanked on her name she won the emmy for ozark um hold on oh um uh come on it's gonna come to me yeah come on laura laura lenny laura no 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 the girl she won the oscar julia garner julia garner and matthew mcfaden okay yeah so the assistant is uh, speaks to the Me Too generation. It's a very quiet film. It's a very slow-moving film. It concentrates on her. It's one day in her life, but it shows the systemic office practices uh, that that so many women face. And so it's it's not a shout and scream type movie. It's a just little 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 incidents that all add up to this is what she's got to go through every day to advance her career. Well, and yeah. And on the phone, who is the guy? It's a, it's a, yeah. That you only hear the boss on the phone. You never see him in person. That's, but okay. kind, of, that's kind of like today. 
And then the other movie is uh, The Rhythm Section with Blake Lively, and I did not see it. Um, our buddy Max saw it and said it was very just okay. One of the things about uh, the talk shows, having uh, the doing them at home with just one guest remote, the, the interviews have been really good with the remote guests. And Ryan Reynolds did a really good Colbert about him being at home with three women because he's got two daughters and yep. like Lively's his wife and about just having all living in a house with women under quarantine was very delightful I and, and they I, yeah he is so charming and and self-deprecating and they were talking about how tom holland and jake gyllenhaal did this t-shirt challenge where yeah. they did the handstand and they put on a t-shirt and they asked ryan reynolds and he said no no <laughs> and then jake gyllenhaal was on uh colbert the other night talking about this and he said that they asked Hugh Jackman to do it too, and and Hugh Jackman sent him an email response. Hope you are well. <laughs> Didn't even answer it. So they were. Well, and they then were... And, and then Simone Biles did the challenge. She took off sweatpants. Yeah. And and put on shorts, and it it, it was an unhuman feat that no one could replicate. Yeah. So right. And all these yeah. These boys these boys think they're cool, and then she just blows them out of the water. Yeah, I know. Chris Pratt's doing the all-in challenge, right? So, with uh, Caprio, with okay, with uh, his uh, with his new baby mama, Mrs. Ms. Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I didn't know they had a baby. She's or having preg- a baby. She Fair. is pregnant currently. Oh, and we want to wish our friend Kevin a, a bracket and his lovely wife Katie congratulations because Owen was born yesterday. In the time of Corona. Yeah. yeah. It's, a it's a good name. Owen's a strong name. It is. And just, just think about that. You're having babies at the time of Corona. Okay. So we have uh, coming up, we have uh, in the theater world, the Muni announced that they're going to try, try to have a delayed season starting July 20th, but they're going to make the decision on June 8th. You broke I, this story. Yeah, I know. <laughs> look at you look at you Lynn. yeah well she it had did this story before very... anyone else and then she didn't even tell me until it came out the next day all right because that's what reporters do when when it's when it's like embargoed till 6 a.m then you just don't tell anybody because well i re- i'm i'm upset that they're starting with chicago i wish they would have kept i know it i know it's due to touring schedules I really wanted to see what they were going to do with Mary Poppins. Cause when I saw Mary Poppins on Broadway, it's a three level set that moves up and down. And the stage level is what you're on the entire time. And the set just kept going up and down. I really wanted to see what the Muni was going to do with that set. Well, they did it in 2012. I saw it there. With, with the moving set. Yeah. Well, they didn't have that. No, they, they, didn't, they didn't have that. But they had, they flew her. It but was they Laura had, Michelle Kelly. They had now that the stage is all different. I really was curious how they were going to do that because when it was at the Fox, it was not the same. No, but uh, the Muni they flew her. It was Laura Michelle Kelly, who's delightful, such a good actress, and Rob McClure, Muni favorite, who's now on Broadway, going Mm -hmm. to be Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, he Mm -hmm. was Bert. Bert. 
and they did yes. supercalifragilisticexpialidocious through the audience. Yes, so they did. I was kind of uh, because they were bringing it back. I was like, okay, but but we'll see what they do. I hope. Who knows what we're going to be able to do? That's going to be different. It's one thing to go to a movie theater. It's another thing to go to the Muni. There, there is no way to practice social distancing when everyone's trying to leave. That trying to get out of the Muni after a show is the least amount of possible from what everything that the CDC and the World Health Organization and all the doctors are telling us. It is going to be, unless they leave row by row, and no one's going to do that because oh. people are idiots, it's, it seems very unfeasible to me. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's open air, which salvages it a little bit, but at the same time, everything that I'm reading on that, you know, it's better, yeah. but it's not. And everybody's going to wear a mask during the show? Well, yeah, and people, all, that's, people, that's another thing. Somebody coughs and everyone, you've been to the Muni. People are, all these old people are coughing all the time. And <laughs> Is it COVID or allergies? <laughs> exactly. And well, just not go out to... now and people aren't practicing it. Right. So what would June be? What would June be like? I mean, July. Who knows? We, we, well, it'll also be an oven. Room. It'll also be an oven because, you know, that's why they end the Muni season usually before August. So it's not a thousand degrees. If they have if they have shows up until September, are you going to want to go on August fifteenth to go see a show at the Muni? And I love the Muni. I'm glad that they're still trying to do something. It just seems it seems logistically impossible. Well, one of the ways if they if they can't they can't, and they're going to be mindful of everybody's health. One of the things they're doing now, which the marketing department, Yay Dylan and his team. They're doing live Facebook events every Monday at seven with a different cast from last season. And I tuned into the Painter Wagon um, cast last Monday night and it's delightful. Mike Isaacson interviews the cast and then he interviews the creative people involved. And then they talk about the process with interesting stories, but the cast, he has such the, their casting is so good at the Muni. There's a lot of layers, Frankie, that they have all these Broadway dudes, but nobody's ever heard of their names because they're sure. famous on stage, but they don't have those TV names like they used to do back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. So one of the guys in Peach Wagon last season was on the Sondheim special Sunday night, sang really? the song from Pacific Overtures. So we had no idea he was... You know, in the program, we didn't know this guy. So here he is on that. And uh, Bobby Conti Thornton, one of my favorites, he played M- Marius in. Uh, Les Mis? Yeah. No, he played Angel Russ in Les Mis at the, the 2013 one, where people literally leapt out of their seats before intermission during one day more i've never seen that happen at the muni where people leapt out of their seats and gave a standing ovation before the song was even (laughs) over and uh he was in he was in jersey boys and he was the the molasses to rum guy in 1776 last year one of the highlights of that production that show was horrible (laughs) i know we're not gonna talk about that but He's really good, and he was a last-minute replacement for Paint Your Wagon, but they were talking about how he has a new CD out okay. now, 
So they update people, uh, but they're all at home. They're all doing just things. So that's kind of cool. And then they're doing a jingle jam because that meet me at the Muni, the Muni at Forest Park, that is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. I did download all six of the styles of music. And my wife, it took my wife till the sixth one that I was playing while I was downloading. And she's like, is that the Muni jingle? Because there's, it's, it's just the raw track and not the vocals because you're supposed to sing along to it. And I'm like, she said, oh, once she heard the sixth one, and then I played her back the other five and she said, oh, I get it now. But it's, I, it, having lay people do content is sometimes, it can sometimes, you can find diamonds in the rough, but I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of bloopers. <laughs> Because the the one they have on their website of that girl dancing, she's not she's neither a trained dancer nor singer, and that's why it is funny. But I'm I'm hoping that they get some good submissions on that. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting what happens this season, and uh, it's also interesting to see what people are trying to do with their time. Uh, and Frankie, you're doing something with your time. You have a podcast. Yeah. I have uh, two podcasts. One is getting going again in a week or two. I think next weekend we're going to start Graveyard Shift season four. Um, that's an ultra conservative uh, paranormal show. So it's very funny. It's very strange. Uh, it, it basically debunks ghosts and then makes fun of ghost hunters and then basically reads stories and headlines in the ghost hunting world. And, and so Graveyard will, as from me and my partner with Shift Films, uh, Jeremy David King, is our kind of our outlet to you know, to the, to the conservative crowd, the conservative crowd of paranormal ghost hunters, because I was, I was just on another show uh, this week. Uh, we are live uh, with Chris Brennan. And I, I think that Demon, I think that, uh, you know, I mentioned that to him. He's like, that's an interesting skew. And it is weird. Like paranormal ghost hunters are the most, the most incredible characters. I, just, I feel that a documentary is brewing with just ghost hunters because these characters, I mean, aside from Zach Baggins, I mean, these characters are pretty funny. The I enjoy one, that topic. It's a fun topic. It's, it's really, you know, it's, it's a mystery. It's a puzzle. And speaking of puzzles, the, the bigger podcast is uh, Lost Boys of Hannibal. And this will, be, this will be our next documentary that we shoot. This was the one that was slated. We were going back and forth uh, between this one and Patience Worth. Um, Patience Worth is something that we definitely want to do. It's just Lost Boys of Hannibal has such a great following right now, a ranked uh, in the top 200 of true crime podcast on Apple. Um, it has over 25,000 downloads with over, with only like 17 episodes. So wow. it really went viral kind of overnight. We started it back in July of last year. And the tale is on May 10th, 1967, three boys go missing in a cave in Hannibal, Missouri, and they are never found. And now 53 years later, 53 years later, um, two creatives, two podcasters uh, set out to solve what happened to the boys. Was it that they were, see, th there's a lot of history between it. You have 11 year old, you have a 13 year old and you have a 14 year old. And you have uh, the youngest of course is Billy Hogue, his older brother, who's 13, who was uh, Joel or Joey Hogue. And then you have Craig Dow, who is another kid in the community. This is the only uh, caving story where, where kids went missing or anyone went missing where they were never found in 53 years. So in the history of caving, these are the only victims that have never been found. 
And that is wow. insane, like just to think about. And wow. that's all over the world because we usually find the victims, whether alive or not. Right. Totally They'll important. find bones or something, but it's been right. 53 years. Yeah. This is a complete um, mystery. John Wayne Gacy's involved. Charles Ray Hatcher is in the new season. Uh, he's been, we were looking at Charles Ray Hatcher earlier. So all these serial killers kind of come into the mix because when you listen to The Lost Boys of Hannibal, the first season is really about the education. And we garnered all that on a couple different things. One of them is The Lost Boys of Hannibal book by John Wingate, who actually knew the boys as a kid. And we've read his book. It wasn't enough information to do an entire podcast. So we sought after all the records and all the reports from William Karras to Tex Yoakum, the two guys that were leading the search that lasted 30 days, over a million dollars and over 400 people looked for these kids. You had 200 cavers searching every cave in Hannibal, Missouri. You had 150 National Guard doing ground searches. They could not find any trace of three boys, which is just mm -hmm. absurd and ridiculous. It's like they're yeah. gone in plain sight. And this was 515. Now, where our podcast kind of ends in season one is starting to think about Occam's Razor, where at least amount of assumptions is probably what happened, Right. Because that's they a true away. crime thing. They ran away, right? It's one, and that's a big theory. They, these three kids just ran away. Uh, they got swept up by the river. Or maybe it was an abduction because the last place these kids are seen is not in a cave. It's on top of Lover's Leap at 5.15 p.m. And they're seen by the janitor, uh, Breedlove. And so how do you go from being on top of a, a mountain, right, being on top of Lover's Leap at 5.15 p.m. when you have to have a, you have to be at a church social at 7 p.m. and it takes an hour to get there. So you need to be at the bus stop at 5.45. So within a span of 30 minutes, all three boys go missing in plain sight. So they weren't in a cave because they had to go to the bus stop. So they spent all their time focused on finding these kids in a cave when it could have really been an abduction. But all three kids were notorious for taking rides with strangers hitchhiking in 1967. Oh, uh, the, the, the family even testified to this in 1967 and 68 it was a testimony, not a court trial, but they, they, you know, they basically said that, yeah, they, they've taken rides with strangers before. So, you know, our story kind of begins where, is it the opportunistic killer? Is it a Charles Ray Hatcher? You know, is it a Henry Lee Lucas? Is it a, you know, John Wayne Gacy? Or the more that we looked at it in season two, my partner, Chris Ketters, who's the one that approached me with the idea in, in July. And I told him, you got to pitch me the idea if I'm going to pay for it. And, you know, <laughs> what, what, yeah, what was a 15 minute conversation turned out to be about four hours on the phone about this case. And I said, well, the best way to approach this is a, is a, is a podcast. Let's garner some enthusiasm. Let's garner fans and audience. And then we can build a documentary, which we were supposed to start shooting in summer. But that, of course, has been taken away. But then now we've had more time to dive in. We have an old research team now. On the research team, there's two police officers on it. One's a state uh, highway, highway trooper in the, in the community. is very intrigued with this story. We have old detectives, investigators, and are all part of our, our hunt team that help us build the, the podcast and do all the research for all the shows. And so it's really become like a very fun podcast at the same time. We intermingle uh, 19, music from the 1960s, which is my favorite era in music. Uh, so every episode starts with a song from the 60s that kind of dictates what the episode is about. So it's a very cool kind of thematic. Season one is all about 30 to 37 minute commuter traffic podcast. This year we've, with, with COVID, we've made it a little longer. The audience wants longer. Um, so we're, we're, always, we're always about like an hour now in season two, just because people are sitting home and listening anyway. Um, they don't need to get anywhere. So, when does, when does a, a new episode come out? 
it's bi-weekly. So every month, every other Monday. So this Monday, we're actually releasing a bonus episode as a follow-up to Charles Ray Hatcher. And then the next episode will be in two weeks. And that episode is really, really important to me because we're actually bringing on a, um, a uh, forensic psychologist to talk about murderers and child uh, molesters. And this guy works for the court systems and he, he interviews murderers and he, a lot of what Dr. Phil used to do, but he interviews, um, you know, murderers and, and child molesters and all these things for the court. And he tries to understand if this person is able-bodied to, can he plead an insanity or, and he gets up close in, in, in the pathology aspect of, of, you know, how crimes are committed, why crimes are done. And, and when you look at the, the, the entire structure of the Lost Boys of Hannibal, the most fascinating thing that we discovered in season two was the fact that these boys have never been listed as missing kids on any network to this day. What? They're not listed as missing kids. So for the last 53 years, we could have found bodies of John Doe's and not ever connect, made the connection. And so that is the big reveal this season is that this is bigger than we thought it was because if you're never looked at it as a child abduction case, you're not in the network. So an FBI agent or a CIA agent or a, or a local sheriff doesn't know to even think about the Lost Boys of Hannibal. And so all these things are being revealed now. That's one of our goals this year is to get them listed as missing persons, possible abduction. And that's going to be hard, but mm -hmm. I think it's important because what if there are bodies that were found that were never identified? Because yeah, they're probably in some database. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, I have experience with uh, searching for uh, disappeared people, oh. and uh, but no, I've never heard of this case, so it fascinates me. But just from my experience, my brother's been missing since two thousand five, oh and uh, I sent my DNA into the Texas uh, police. Uh, I mean, the Texas state um, lab, Rangers? the forensics lab in 2011 so between 05 and 11 there was nothing but what the police did do for us at in 11 was they put him in the national registry of missing persons and they also put him in the national crime registry and the police told me that way if they would stop somebody they would stop somebody and they would have reason to believe they could detain them so like say if these boys were still alive and somebody stops them they could do that so the purpose of getting in all these registries is to make sure that if there's some sort of clue they can act on that but if they're not in these systems then they can't act on that no. and uh the fbi did call me uh two years ago three years ago or something and they had found remains that they had thought were his and they did a reconstruction because that's how close, that's how sure they were that they were his, but they weren't. My my sister sent in other DNA because mine wasn't, you know, yeah. working, I guess, and uh, or for a positive ID, and hers wasn't a positive ID. So uh, that is a thing now, this DNA. But the wow. FBI was really helpful and very good and was very committed to this. And then we did hear from the police department where he lived in, Dallas, uh, the suburb of Capel, they are reopening it Good. and they wanted permission from us to send out letters and maybe somebody would know something. Mm -hmm. So they were going to try that as so we get, we gave, obviously we gave them permission to do that, but there's, there's steps you can take, but I'm just shocked that they are not, they never did report them. No, nope, they didn't. And, uh, one of the mo the mother, 
<clears throat> Helen Dowell actually says towards the last of it, she's like, they were never in those caves. And mm. we have uh, condolence letters that we had access to from the family that somebody gave us to look through. And one of the condolence letters is from a person that we're calling Ray Farrier, who you guys will know as somebody else. But um, we just labeled him Ray Farrier for now, uh, just because we don't want to reveal his name. But he, there's three letters and we read them on the first season and I won't reveal too much about it, but this guy believes that he knows what happened to the kids and they were never followed up on. And we, so he draws this map on one of the things of where the kids are. And so uh, it can only come that map and I'll say it this way. It can only come from somebody that knew the area. Right. When you look at the broader spectrum that Chris had done, my partner did a lot of research the last couple of weeks. Billy, Joey, and Craig are not the only kids missing. A year oh. later in 1968, Ricky goes missing in Montgomery City, which is about a half hour outside of Hannibal. In 1969, another kid would be gone missing in Mount Sterling, Illinois, about two and a half hours from Hannibal. And it keeps going all the way up until you get 18 kids are missing right Whoa. around roughly the same ages in this oh. one in this one area all circling around Hannibal every one of those kids is not listed in that database wow that's so, so, that so weird it's eerie it's eerie and it's when you start looking at all the names and then we have a map like a google map where we have every one of the missing and it makes an r oh like like the entire thing, like almost like Zodiac. It kind of makes like an R of all the missing kids right inside of the Midwest here, right inside of Missouri. Oh, Zodiac? Yeah. Well, Zodiac. So 1969, like Shift Films is based on cars. It's like the whole mm -hmm. Shift thing, shifting in films. And then we have muscle cars. So all our muscle cars are from 1969 because it's really the year of true crime. And that's what mm -hmm. we specialize in. And you have Zodiac Killer, you have the, you know, the Night Stalker, you, you have the Golden State Manson. Killer, you Manson. You, yeah, you have all these different things come out of 1969. So this was, you know, when people say, well, the 60s and the 50s, it was such a better time to be living. It's actually not. When you look at the statistics, more kids were getting abducted, more serial killers reigned in the 60s and the 50s. So it wasn't safer. It's actually safer now <laughs> yeah. than it ever has been. When was that bus deducted with the kids in that rural part of California? Wasn't that around then too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in the early 70s. And then there was the McDonald's shooting uh, that happened right towards the end of the 70s. Um, it was a mass shooting in McDonald's. About 31 people lost their lives. Nobody talks about that. No documentary. Oh, yeah. On it. That, that used to, that the town with the Y, the double Y. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you, okay, so has anybody ever done like a, 48 hours or a dateline or anything about never these? never done a dateline they've done a couple different spoofs and shows we were on the news um khqa which is now moving from quincy to decatur i don't know mm -hmm. why they're doing that but they are um and you know so we so a lot of the anchors a lot of the people that that were doing this stuff for hannibal they they basically wanted to stay in quincy and i don't blame them and so they've gone to different careers, but we were getting a lot of press out there and that helped. And then we were on the Dave Glover show and he loves podcasts. If anybody knows Dave, Dave's all about true crime and podcasts. And so he had us on. That and he loves the paranormal too. 
He does love the paranormal. That's why we were on, we were on a paranormal uh, Wednesday episode, me and my buddy, uh, Jeremy King, who's once again, he's the, my partner in, in shift films and we have to have him on. He's, he's a great, anytime you have like splatter, uh, like splatter <laughs> porn horror film, he's yeah. the guy. He's watched every B to C rated horror film ever. So he's a huge consultant on pool door, our horror film, but you know, when it comes to Lost Boys and Hannibal, he was instrumental in doing all the research. So Jeremy did all the research for um, John Wayne Gacy, the first episode of the new season, season two. Um, and John Wayne Gacy, I've ruled out. Uh, my partner, Chris, has him at 5% being involved. But the book Soul Speak, who was written by the same person that wrote The Lost Boys and Hannibal, he brought in three mediums from different areas of the country ah. and find the boys. And they all located the boys at the same area at the same spot. And they all said it was John Wayne Gacy. So of course, being the skeptic that I am, I'm like, all right, let's, let's, uh, let's do this in a professional way in a respectful way, because it is their people. It's, it's somebody's profession. It's what they do. It's what they believe. So just like right. any religion from Muslim to Christian, you got to respect people's beliefs and what they believe. But at the end of the day, I can't put, nor can the FBI put John Wayne Gacy in Hannibal, Missouri in 1967, when in 1968, he was indicted for sodomy of a minor in Waterloo, Indiana. He was not right. there. He was running three KFCs in Waterloo, Indiana for his father-in-law. Here's the other thing that's really strange about John Wayne Gacy. 33. He was married. A lot he was of married, things. had two kids. 33 Dressed boys. Clown. Yep, that's right. Pogo, the killer clown. But he actually never killed, like, a lot of people believe that was one of his personalities was Pogo. That was one of his split personalities. And then there was Jack and John, right? So we did this deep dive into who John Wayne Gacy was. And here's the funny thing. He gets 10 years prison in Waterloo, Indiana. Okay. He serves 16 months sentence and is on parole. Then he moves to Cook County, Illinois, where he violates that parole by trying to abduct and sodomize a youth. That never gets back to Waterloo, Indiana, which if they did, they would have enforced his tenure in jail. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that never happens, he goes on a killing spree for 10 years. And so you could just see that the technology that we had today, if you were in another state and they flagged you, you'd be sent back to that state, extradited, and serve your sentence. But back in 1970, couldn't do that. And so what does John Wayne Gacy does? He ends up killing 33 people. And it's all because he should have been in jail for those 10 years and he just wasn't. So I think there's a lapse in the government um, from the FBI standpoint at that point. And I know that they know that that was a really, that was a flagship for them that, man, we really need to improve technology when it comes to police force. But even today, you know, a Texas Ranger in Dallas is not going to know about the three boys missing in Hannibal, Missouri, if the bodies come up missing, they're going to think it's something. Right. right. And that's why it's important for us to get us on the database. And so that's why we're trying to, that's our, that's our goal this season to do that. And I think that'll make some headlines. And, but no, as far as like, I mean, it was a little long winded, but, it's never been a dateline. It's been on a couple stupid paranormal shows that like really just really butchered the story, invented this person called Shippa, this ghost that's one of the boys. And it's mm. all it's all BS. It's there's nothing, there's no truth to it. It that stuff clouds I love paranormal, but it's also a pseudoscience and it basically makes everything that we're doing, it's not integrity. And and you can't you gotta have integrity in filmmaking and you can't do a documentary and and think that it's a ghost or a medium you, you just can't it's it, they're pseudosciences and so we really want to find the resolve for the lost boys of hannibal and we want to place them in burial and we have not reached out to the families that's another thing we keep getting slack for i'm not reaching out to the families because in most cases it is a family member they are suspects in mm -hmm. our opinion and i think the problem that true crime podcasts have is they reach out to the families they look at the missing maura murray podcast they reached out to the family right away why would you do that 
Now, now you're friends with these people. Now they're going to misguide you in, 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 in all these different steps that you're going down. And I'm not saying by any means that it's a Dow or a Hogue, but it could be. In most cases, when you look at the statistics, it is a family member. It's somebody that they knew. If you're going to get three boys, you're going to abduct three boys. You, you had to have known that person. You had it's to. Just, it, yeah. It's just amazing to me that more has not been done. It's so crazy. From what, from what you've said, I'm guessing you've not interviewed John Wingate then. John Wingate hates us. I'm sure. He because absolutely you, hates us. You uh, crapped on his uh, medium idea. <laughs> Yeah. Well, his first book's great. And we give him all the press and it's on our website to purchase and buy. And I'm sure he's made a killing. Like I said, we have over 25,000 interviews. We always give him credit where credit's due. That's something mm -hmm. that we do. But at the end of the day, I disagree with the book Soul Speak. I don't think, well, this is what he does. He locks himself out, right? So in Soul Speak, he says, they're buried here. John Wayne Gacy did it. That's the end of the case. Here's the reason why he can do that. It's on the cement property. It's on a, the national cement company is right there. It's a huge private property. So no one can just go in there and dig. It's on their right. land. Right. They've posted private property sticker. They've posted everything. Don't go up here because that book caused, and he tells when he gets on a radio, so he tells people exactly where they are. And so now what, what my plan is, I've, I've talked to the, the underground detective, which is right here in St. Louis. I don't know if you know about these guys. The underground detectives, they do um, grade, uh, ground penetrating radar, so GPR. So we're going to talk to them next week, and I'm going to talk mm -hmm. to the cement company and see, hey, Let's just do it, man. I'll pay for it. Let's go out there. Let's just get this. If they're there, great. If not, we all want the same thing, me and John Wingate. We want to find them. There's no reason why we need to be enemies. But at the end of the day, if you're going to bring in mediums, that's really a last resort, in my opinion. I will. Yeah. I applaud your efforts. This is fascinating and, and good luck. And, and I'm going to start listening now to this because it's just uh, one of those that it, it just probably gets under your skin and you're just like, you have to know. Yeah. You have to know. You have to explore. So good for you. Thank that you. is awesome. Yeah, it's and uh, we did mention a little bit of your lymph film, but refresh people on what it's about because we didn't really go into it. We just call it the lymph movie. Yeah. So the lymph documentary film explores the life and death of Elsa Lemp Wright, who took her own life on March 20th, 1920. And a lot of people had speculated that it might have been murder. And so what we've decided to do at Shift Films is kind of do a documentary that kind of explores both ends. Was it suicide? Was it murder? Um, we have a film cut right now. During COVID, we've decided we've brought in some some of our consultants, uh, Lily McLeod, who's one of our writers, who's actually was involved in the film heavily in the beginning stages of it, and then went to school in Charleston, took two years off, came back. Um, to kind of look at where we're at. Uh, the director, myself, and all the heads, Jeremy David King, we're all in agreement that we're going to recut the film just to make it longer and a little bit stronger because it's a great film right now, but we think it has the potential to be a Netflix viewer. And that's what our goal is by October 23rd. Our goal is to have that film premiere. It's going to be a little bit longer. Everybody's tickets that has tickets is going to be honored. You don't need to buy new tickets or anything like that. But we want to make this film incredible and i think that we've surrounded ourselves with the talent and the know-how to do it and to re-edit it and i think that you need to do these things i think you need to be you have to look at your film and you have to be have thick skin and say how can we make this better how can we make this great we have the time to do it it's not like a theater is going to open anytime soon like let's do it we have all the footage let's recut it and we have one that's in the bank and if the recut doesn't go anywhere we have one already done. So now is the time to kind of look at it and just make it something because it's important for us because it's not only important for the legacy of the family, but it's also important for the legacy of what St. Louis is. Like, you know, I'm branded with St. Louis for life, tattoo, you know, 1760. 
64. Sort of so, you know, for me, it's, 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 it's bigger than that because it's some, it's a place that I moved to eight years ago and absolutely fell in love with the history. And we want to do it justice, not only to St. Louis, but also to the Lemp family. So um, Lemp's last right. Uh, there's no tickets available. Everything is sold out, but we hope to be on Netflix uh, very soon if we get this cut and we do it right. And I think we will. I think that there's enough talent and, and ideas and everybody on my team just gels and they work together and we have some great debates, but there's nothing ever gets personal. And we've really shaped ourselves into a, a really creative atmosphere that we can thrive in. And I think people will enjoy the film. Well, that's wonderful. wonderful. And I, I would like to, uh, just, I would like to see it at Slift, just if not in competition, but just as an offering because yeah. they're going to be wanting you know, in November, however, they're going to have the film festival, it would be good to spotlight a, a well, that that's the other thing too, Lynn, like this does not disqualify us anymore for Slift if we choose to run in October. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it really gives us a leg up in the fact that, you know, we can move that because yes, I would love Slift. We have Cringe, which is our short film that's doing very well in the Los Angeles and California film festivals. We entered that into, and that's Jason Clayfish's film, Cringe. That's doing really well in the festival circuit. We have over, I think, 12 selections, about 12 awards from best screenwriter to best director to all these different things, best film, you know, all this. So we're doing really well with Cringe, and that's in SLIF this year. We've entered it. I mean, it's not been selected yet, but we did enter it for the St. Louis Showcase. So we do have one film in St. Louis Showcase, and hopefully next year we'll have Lemp's Last right in there. So that's our goal. Every time I see that funeral commercial um, with J Jason, it just, oh, I just like, I, I like the first time I saw it, I went, yeah. it's just, yeah, yeah, what a, what a special light in was. people's lives. So, Carl. Yeah, well, let's wrap up and say what we're going to be doing or what we're, we're on now. I am going to be the guest commentator on Shakespeare Festival St. Louis's live Facebook event on Wednesday. They have selected The Taming of the Shrew as the movie they want me to talk about. Awesome. <laughs> you, can so, do, you can mention the Moonlighting episode that they did that was a parody of Taming of the Shrew. That is a great... I know. I know. It was. It was. Yeah, iambic pentam uh, pentameter writing. The scriptwriters did that, but uh, mm -hmm. this is not the Liz and Dick movie. This okay. is the, the early version. Oh. So I'm going to watch it and and take copious notes before I watch it again live with people. I think I'm going to watch How to Build a Girl next week. From uh, um, that's that's opening up on drive-ins. May eighth, so Beanie Feldstein, Beanie and Feldstein. that is and that is uh, IFC. And I got uh, the jo link. I Jonah got the Hill's link. girl, or Jonah Her Jonah Hill's sister, and from uh, uh, Booksmart. Yes, and so we have Spaceship Earth opening on uh, opening May eighth by Neon, and I I reviewed that early. It's a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it again. And then we have the How to Build a Girl and then uh, whatever else out there. The good thing about streaming is you don't have to see it exactly when it comes out because it's there. Exactly. Right. And congratulations yeah. on your move, Lynn. <laughs> again. <laughs> Thank you. All Thank right. You. You, can, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, even though I haven't done anything 
since hockey at underscore Carl the intern. But you can hear me on radio stations in the intercom family. Frankie, where can we find you, sir? You can find me as uh, on IG, Instagram at either uh, Freeway Frankie is my, my nickname. So Freeway and then Frankie, no E at the end, just an I. Mm -hmm. What I've been doing during quarantine is um, I actually have a past life as a culinary chef. So I've been doing recipes. I've done over 40 recipes in my highlights. So if you want to learn how to cook Italian food, Thai food, French food, it's all in there. And I've just been doing it from home. It's fun and cooking for my neighbors. All my neighbors are fat because of me and they're blaming me um but i have nurses uh, next door that live to me so i've been giving them tiramisu to take to bjc for they work in recovery um so they take stuff there and, and give it to the other nurses so it's kind of how i'm helping a little bit with the front line but also you know providing for people that you know i just did my upstairs neighbor uh, their anniversary so it was pretty fun so freeway frankie at ig um pretty clean stuff i mean some of the videos i curse in but you know it's just who i am is by, by nature and then um, that's if you wonderful want to follow, yeah thank you and the other one is Cambotography, spelled just like that, C-A-M-B-O, and then Tography. Uh, that's my cinematography handle on IG. I'm mostly on IG. I don't like Facebook. I just feel it. I call it blame book. I'm not <laughs> on Facebook. Lynn yeah. keeps sending me these memes. Max yelled at her the other day. I didn't say stop sending the memes. Somebody else did. But I'm not on Facebook, so Lynn likes to text me every meme she sees on Facebook. Yeah, there's some good ones though. There are some there's great some ones. Good out ones. There. I, I enjoy sharing them with the masses because if you're going to be an influencer, that's how do you get to be influencers? Right. Shiftfilms.net so, too. If you guys want to subscribe to shiftfilms.net, we send out um, a monthly newsletter about all the happenings at Shift Films. So um, that's a good way to stay in touch with all the local films that we're doing and documentaries that we're on too. So okay. that's the only thing. That's how you reach me. And Lynn, where can we find you, dear? Uh, you can find me on all the socials and you can find me at poplifestl.com. That's my website. It needs to be freshened up a bit, which I will be doing this week. And uh, I'm on KTRS every Thursday night talking about the state of the biz with Ray Hartman and what's new out that people can watch. And I, uh, Webster Kirkwood Times is still online. So Kent awesome. and I are still Good. doing the reviews for that. It's just the print publication has gone away. So um, that's where the state of the biz is right now. So thanks, guys, for being on. Thanks for taking up your Sunday. And uh, hope to see you again, Frankie. And, we'll, and yes. we'll definitely follow up on everything you are doing. Yeah, it's good to see you guys safe and sound from the last time we did this. Yes. So thank you so much. <laughs> yes, thank you. Well, hey, take care, guys. Take care, guys. Right. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. Bye. Talk to you guys later. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks.